Isaiah 58, we're going to be in verses 1 through 9. And the prophet Isaiah, he's writing to the people of God. And he's, you know, last week we were talking about worship. And we were, we were talking about how important that the heart, the why behind the what matters so much. And we're going to see that again even here. As Isaiah is prophesying to a people who are taking part in the holy habit of fasting, but they're doing it for the wrong reason and they're doing it the wrong way. And so we're going to dive right into the text and see that from it. And I want you to notice specifically even in these opening lines um, the words that's used here. So let's dive in. It says, shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Notice what it says here in verse 2. They act so pious. They come to the temple every day and they seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, <laughs> pretending they want to be near me. Oh, what a line. Pretending that they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We've been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice it. I'll tell you why I respond. It's because you're fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves, listen again, by going through the motions of penance. Bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and you cover yourselves with ashes is this what you call fasting? Do you really think that this will please the Lord? No, this is the fasting that I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning as we read your word that it would have a lasting impact on our heart and life, that, Lord, you would shape and mold us. I pray that we would all leave this room today with a new hunger for your presence, that we'd be shaped and molded by you, I pray. We love you, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Before you sit down, turn to someone nearby you and tell them if you had one meal to eat before you were to die, what would that meal be? All right. I love asking that question. And you know what I've noticed with that question? No one ever says salad. <laughs> it's usually something that's meat or fried. <laughs> no. or, or, or sweet, yeah. Or, or how many of yours was a dessert? Okay, how many of yours was some form of like a steak-ish thing, okay? Did anybody say salad? Okay, good. Good to know. Um, we, we often don't know what we need. 
I find this to be true. We often don't really know um, what we need. In his book, uh, The Power of Habit, Charles Duhigg, he gives this incredible story about the creation of this wonderful thing. Shout it out if you know what this is. Febreze, okay? This was a revolutionary product of its time. Whenever this first came out, uh, the makers of it um, were astounded because they finally found something that no longer masked smell, it eliminated it. This was uh, something that chemically, whenever you spray it into the air and the chemicals go and land on it, they actually remove, they block, they capture like the, the chemical that... Um, whatever is essentially causing that smell, and it stops it. And they were so excited. They're like, we have found something that is beyond revolutionary. Everyone in America is going to want this. And so they instantly flushed it to the markets as fast as they possibly could, and it was a complete and utter dud. They couldn't sell it. They tried like crazy. They were doing everything that they could. They had all the, they spent millions of dollars on advertising. They went to stores and they, they showed all these things about it. But the problem is this, is that we're all used to our own smell. And Febreze found themselves in a, in a quandary. They're sitting here going, we have one of the most revolutionary products ever created and we can't sell it. Because no one knew what they needed. So they went back and they, they did found, they found one person who did it in the process of their testing. They found this lady who was a park ranger who, for whatever reason, I mean, this has got to be the worst life ever. She constantly gets sprayed by skunks. So she was aware of the fact that she smelled, right? And so she, when, whenever they brought this to her house to test it and she sprayed around her house, she was, she was dumbfounded. She was so excited. She's like, I want a case of these. I want three cases of these because she knew this, this like could change like her clothes and change the way her entire house smelled. So she was so excited about it, but they couldn't sell it to anybody else because everybody else was so accustomed to the smell of themselves and the smell of their house that they were unaware of what they really needed. Procter and Gamble, they found themselves in this spot going, what do we do? They ended up pairing it with a different habit. They did something that they shouldn't have needed to do, but they did anyways. Now, most of us, you've probably used Febreze at one point in time in your house, and you've probably picked a scent that you enjoy. They have everything out there now. They've got the scent of dawn or the, the scent of, um, the one I like is the cranberry one that comes around Christmas time. It smells amazing. They added a scent to something that takes away scent. Because what they found is that the only way they could sell it is they found that whenever people would start cleaning and then they would use this and they would spray it in there afterwards, there was this sense of accomplishment from what they had just done. And when they paired that with adding a delightful scent to it, suddenly America bought it hand over foot. But we didn't know what we really needed. They couldn't even smell that maybe their own house was bad. You know, fasting kind of does that for us as well. We often spiritually don't even realize fully what we need, but fasting can make us aware of that. Fasting can be a powerful weapon against our sin that both reveals it to us, but then also gives us the power with the, the help of the Holy Spirit and God's presence that we're tapping into to extinguish and to remove that sin from our life. But it does more than just remove sin. It can change the way that other people experience us. 
You see, I think that probably the first person who really benefited from this was moms of junior high boys. <laughs> right? Febreze completely altered the home dynamic. <laughs> it's a way that you can experience that child you love so much in a new and fresh way. <laughs> you can walk into their room and, and I don't hate you as much anymore. <laughs> right? It, it can change the way, listen to me, as fasting can both expose and help us to remove sin from our lives, it suddenly changes the way that you experience me. As I've spent time in the presence of God, as I've been shaped and molded by that time with him, now when you encounter me, it's a completely different experience. But can I just tell you something? I think it's something that we also all don't realize. We don't know what we need. You see, the holy habit of fasting, I fear, is probably one of the most, if not the number one habit, spiritually of all the spiritual disciplines that is most often neglected in Western American Christianity. We are great at being consumers. We are not so great at withholding from ourselves pleasure. We are great at grabbing a hold of anything and everything that we want, but when it comes to restraining ourselves and intentionally withholding, we struggle with that. And the reason I think this is sad is because I feel like the American church is often missing the reward, the power, and the beauty of God that is revealed through this holy habit. There is a reward to fasting. Jesus said that. That what, what God watches you do in secret with fasting, he will reward. There's a reward that comes with it. I'm going to give you a hint. It's going to come at the end of the message. But that reward is God himself. It's a special sense of his presence. There's a reward, but there's power that kind of comes from it too. And there's a beauty of God that can be revealed in the midst of it. Now, today's message, I'm going to be completely frank with you up front. This is going to be a very practical message on fasting. Because I think sometimes there's a lot of confusing. What is fasting? How do we fast? When do we fast? What should we fast? And so we're going to cover a lot of those, but I think we're going to dive into it a little bit deeper. And my prayer is that as you walk out of here today, you know, we're still in the midst of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Maybe you haven't fasted anything yet in this 21 days. Today would be a great day to start. To say, you know what, God, I'm going to intentionally withhold from myself this so that I can pursue your presence. My prayer is that we, each one of us, would walk out here this morning saying, God, I want to know you more. I want my hunger for your presence to increase because I've been in your presence today. So the first question is just simple. What is fasting? What is fasting? And I would define it this way. It is the intentional thought out, voluntary act of detaching and unplugging or abstaining from something, and we're going to talk about that something, for the purpose of seeking God. It's saying, okay, God, I'm really plugged into this, but I'm going to unplug from it for a while so that instead I can plug to a greater degree into your presence. It's the temporary giving up of something good to remember to connect to what is best. This is important. God is not asking you to fast lust. 
He's asking you to eradicate that from your life. That's not something we fast from. Fasting is usually from something that's actually good for us. I don't know if you know this, but food is good for us. It's kind of important. It brings joy. I don't know about you, but whenever I bite into a juicy steak, there is naturally a smile that comes across my face, and I don't even realize that's happening. When you have that, whatever your favorite dish was, that thing that you would eat is your last meal before you die. Like, my mother-in-law tells me that when I'm eating something really good without even realizing it, evidently I hum, which is just weird to think about. Like, I, like I, I didn't realize I do that, but evidently, like, I, I hum. I sing, like, a song of worship. Praise God from whom all. <laughs> right? That, that's what happens whenever I'm eating um, steak. But it's the withholding or giving up of something that's good to connect to what's best. Okay? I want you to read this quote with me from John Piper, and it'll be on the screen. And he says this, Therefore bread was created for the glory of Christ. Hunger and thirst were created for the glory of Christ, and fasting was created for the glory of Christ, which means that bread magnifies Christ in two ways. By being eaten with gratitude for his goodness and by being forfeited out of hunger for God himself. When we eat, we taste the emblem of our heavenly food, the bread of life. And when we fast, we say, I love the reality above the emblem. In the heart of the saint, both eating and fasting are worship. Both magnify Christ. This isn't like God saying to us, eating is terrible for you, so you need to fast. <laughs> no, what he's saying is that we're intentionally giving up something we love and that we enjoy for the sake of something that we see as even more important, more lovely, more valuable. So then the question becomes, who should fast? Right? The natural response is, okay, if we, if we know that, then, then who should fast? And Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, He's speaking and he says this. And he says, and when you fast, don't make it obvious. Now notice those words, and when you fast. Not if you fast or if you get around to it or if it becomes convenient. But when you fast, don't make it obvious. For they try to look miserable and disheveled so that people will admire them for their fasting. So they're doing it for the wrong reasons. He's saying, I tell you the truth. That's the only reward they're going to get is other people noticing but when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, then no one will notice that you're fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything, ooh, listen to that last line, will reward you. So who should fast? The answer is followers of Christ, fasting should be something that we put into our life to grow closer to Christ, to spend time in his presence all should fast because all should long for his presence. Jesus asked, and, and he was talking about this, and he was asked why his disciples weren't fasting, and he says, oh, they will. The bridegroom is with them right now, but there's gonna come a time soon when he will be gone, and then they will fast. The truth is that this is something that often gets dropped from our life because our schedules get so crowded, so full of everything, and it just kind of fades in the background. And I think one of the reasons it fades is because we have forgotten that there's a beauty, there's a power, and there's a reward.
that comes from that time spent intentionally in the presence of God, in Christ. So now we need to ask, what should we fast? So I'm going to give you a few that we're going to show on the screen and different types of fasts that you can do. And the first is a total fast. So this is where you give up all food and all water. Please do this for just a short period of time. <laughs> I don't want you to die. <laughs> if you give up all food and all water, it should be just for a very short span of time, like maybe a day to three days at most. Um, really, in, even then, you should only do a total fast if you've consulted with your doctor first. Both total and total with liquid. Both of these fasts can be a bit extreme. So before you take part in them, I would encourage you to, to visit a doctor before you attempt to do those. So total with liquids is you're fasting all food, but you include water, juice, and even vitamins based on the length. Some people have done this for maybe a week or up to a couple days or even up to 40 days. I had a pastor friend of mine who actually did a total fast with just liquids for 40 days. But again, make sure you contact your doctor before you try to do something like that. Because, And then the other thing too, this is just a practical tip of advice. If you decide to do a total fast, do not make your next meal a huge one when you come off the fast. You will pay the price. You want to make sure it's like broth <laughs> or like a soup or something like that uh, coming out of it. Then there's the Daniel fast. The Daniel fast is water along with fruits and vegetables or beans. Um, it typically means no meat, no caffeine, and then some juices but without added sugar. Then there's just fasting meals. Um, like right now, I know a lot of people during the 21 days of prayer and fasting that we're doing across all three campuses, um, they'll fast maybe one meal a day or one meal a week. Or they'll fast one day a week. Or it could be maybe one, maybe breakfast and lunch you're going to skip and spend the time you had spent typically eating those meals in prayer and fasting and then eating dinner in the evening. There's a lot of different ways in which you can fast. Then there's entertainment. This is a sore subject in our generation. <laughs> this could be the giving up of technology like TV and Internet for 21 days saying, God, I realize that this consumes a lot of my time, consumes a lot of my thought. Again, not saying that it's necessarily evil that what you're watching, because fasting is usually the giving up of something good for the sake of something that's best. Or maybe it's social media. Can I just say, I think the whole world could, could do for about a week-long social media fast right about now. <laughs> it, it could be a, a little good for us. Or, or maybe there, there's another one that you could take. Maybe there's a season that God's calling you to give up something that you really value for the sake of seeking his face. So there's some different practical what's. What can we fast? Which leads us to the question of then when should we fast? And the answer to this is the vital, important aspect is time. God wants your time in his presence. You know, in all of our interpersonal relationships, one of the greatest ways that we spell love is T-I-M-E. If you want to prove to someone your love for them, one of the greatest things that you can do is give them your time and your attention. Can I just give you a clue? One of the greatest benefits and importance and aspects of fasting is time. If you're like, you know what, I'm going to fast my breakfast and give that to you, God, but your breakfast is typically a granola bar in the car while you're flying out the house, running to work, and it's never even thought of, you really didn't give up much. 
you didn't give him any time. You, yeah, you're forsaking calories, <laughs> but that's more of like a weight loss program than a fasting aspect. It's time. In the ancient East, um, their evening meal was something that was typically laid out over a period of hours. It was one of the greatest ways that you could show someone that you loved them and that, they, that you cared for them. It was intrinsically tied to their hospitality culture. To refuse a meal from someone was the greatest shame you could give to that person. In fact, uh, whenever there, there's two really interesting stories in the Old Testament. There's one story where David and his men, they, they come to, uh, they need assistance, and they come to this man in Israel, and they essentially are like, hey, can you help us out? We're in the midst of this, and he, he refuses. David prepares to go to arms and to kill the entire household until the man's wife comes out with like a cartload of food, and she's like, we are so sorry for refusing hospitality to you. We don't want to like, and she basically saves the whole household, and then God kills that guy. Later in the story, of, actually earlier in the story of Judges, there's this story of Gideon, and they're chasing the enemy army out of the town, and Israel doesn't come to the aid, and they don't feed his troops, and he says, you need to feed my troops. You need to provide this hospitality. Otherwise, you're disgracing us, and they're like, forget you, and he's like, okay, when we win and we come back, we're going to whip you with thorns, which can I just tell you, that sounds terrible. <laughs> right? That's like, but this just shows you like, so that evening meal was core to their culture and it was laid out over hours and it was meant to build intimacy and time with that person. So when they fasted that meal, they were essentially saying, God, I'm giving you this entire space. It's yours. I'm going to pursue you. In Revelation 3.20, I'm hoping that maybe you see this verse from a new light. Jesus says this, he says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in and share a meal together as friends. Are we aware the king of the universe longs for us to be in his presence? When we fast, it's saying, God, more than the joy of that meat or that food can provide, your presence provides me with more joy. There's a value to this. When we give up food, our, our body gets hungry. It starts to, you get the groans, right? You get the, the, the stomach's like, and it's alerting you that you need to eat. The beauty of that is then it's a reminder. This is an opportunity to pray. As soon as I feel that intensity of God, I, I'm hungry, Oh, God, it's driving me back to my knees. Lord, I need you. I need you more than even the food that enters my stomach to sustain me. You are more precious than even that. So the question becomes, is what can we pause? What can we fast that will give us time in the presence of Christ? For some of us, maybe it is a meal. But for some of you, maybe it's Netflix. Maybe it's um, time away from social media. Maybe it's, time, maybe it's time away from a hobby or something that you do that's saying, okay, God, I'm going to, for this season or this stretch of time, I'm going to give it to you. Because in your midst of your forsaking of something, you're doing more than just the stopping of calories or the stopping of activity. You're saying, God, I'm stopping this to start this to pursue you. Plan ahead how long you're going to do it. Make it for a set period of time, whether it be a day, a week, 21 days, a month. Or maybe, I know some, some people, they do like a specific fast for a whole year. They like fast a particular item or something like that. And then make that 
ahead of time. And then in regards to when you should fast, can I just encourage you to do something? We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits, he, he says if you want to start something and actually stick with it, one of the greatest things you can do is he calls it habit stacking. And what he means by that is you take a habit that you never, ever, ever, ever miss. So maybe it's brushing your teeth. Or maybe it's taking your shower. Um, some of you, you like to take that shower at night right before you go to bed. Some of you love to take it like first thing it wakes you up in the morning. But you don't ever go a single day without whatever that habit is. And what he says is you stack another habit and you attach it to that so that you will always end up doing what you want to do. So that's one of the reasons that fasting is often tied to a meal because we don't typically forget our meals. <laughs> we, we, we remember those. And so it's a way to intentionally stick it there. But you can also pair with fasting, obviously prayer, worship, time in God's word, spinning that in his presence. But please hear me. The point of fasting is not just the stopping of something. It's the filling of that space with the presence of God. A habit has power when it is given time and it's done consistently. Amazing things can happen. I was scrolling through videos the other day and I watched, how many of you have ever seen, you know what I'm talking about when I say CrossFit? I've never done it, won't do it. It's terrifying. CrossFit's this crazy form of working out. And every year they have the CrossFit Games and Reebok hosts it. And they have this as one of their events. This dumbfounded me. It starts with a mile run. They exit the stadium. They come back into the stadium. When they enter the stadium, it moves from a one-a-mile run to 100 pull-ups. This guy's lucky if he can pull off one pull-up. They move from 100 pull-ups to 200 push-ups. And then after 200 push-ups, they do 300 sit-ups. And the, no, sorry, not 300 sit-ups, 300 squats. And then after 300 squats, they do another mile run. And whoever makes it back in after that mile run first wins. Can you imagine if day one, with no training, you're like, I'm going to try that. <laughs> right? There's no way. But over time... These individuals, with their habit being consistently in place with intentionality, it gave them the power to not only finish the event, but to try to do it and to win. Listen to me. Fasting over time gives you power. There's a reward that comes from it. Let me give you a few different reasons why we can fast. I'm going to show you this on the screen. Um, these, there's a long list that we have here. These are different ones that come from Scripture. And the first is from is repentance. Um, you can see the verses on there. If you want, you can kind of take a screenshot with your phone. Um, in Joel chapter 2 and in Psalms 51, we see that, that you can fast for the sake of repentance or whether you're facing a desperate need. In Daniel chapter 6, the king actually fasts for Daniel, praying that God would save and rescue him. It can be for a spiritual reward, which we've read about in Matthew chapter 6. In Acts 14, we see that they're about to appoint people to a spiritual post. And so before they do that, they fast and they pray. Or it's in preparation for ministry. Jesus fasted and prayed in the wilderness as God was preparing him for what he was going to do. 
It can be for concern for others. Nehemiah goes into fasting and prayer because he's concerned for the people of Israel who have no wall and no city to protect them. In Acts 13, before they send people out to evangelize the world, it says that they fasted and prayed for them. Maybe it's when you're about to face a dilemma, a tough decision, or you need desperate wisdom now. Esther, when she's facing this dilemma of going, am I going to go before the king? And if this does go south, I'm going to be dead. She asks all the people to fast and to pray for her. Or maybe it's for spiritual power over darkness, Mark chapter 9. Or maybe it's in response to God's correction, which we see in Acts 9 and in Jonah 3. There's a lot of different reasons for why we can fast. But let me tell you some of the things that it does. It reminds us of who and what is actually sustaining us. Bread and food give us energy, they give us life, they give us sustenance. And as for a time we give those up, we do so to remind ourselves, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what Jesus said himself in a time of fasting and prayer as the enemy came against him. See, we do so because we're reminding ourselves, God, you sustain me not just bread and food. Secondly, it renews our spiritual eyes and our spiritual hunger. I want to throw this quote on the screen from John Piper. And this is what he says. He says, if you do not feel strong desire for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and you've become satisfied. It's because you've nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things that there is no room for the great. If that does not describe our culture, I don't know what does. Our culture has nibbled and stuffed itself on anything and everything that comes across. We can become so distracted, but fasting has a way of renewing our spiritual eyes and hunger. Denzel Washington was once quoted as saying, it's easy to spot a red car when you're always thinking of a red car. It's easy to spot opportunity when you're always thinking of opportunity. And it's easy to spot reasons to be mad when you're always thinking of being mad. You become what you constantly think about. So watch yourself. Man, is that not true? When we fast, you know what it's doing? It's grabbing hold of our attention and our thoughts and it's placing it focused on God. And naturally, our spiritual eyes suddenly open up. I now can see you in a completely new light because I've been praying and asking for God to give me spiritual eyes. I now can see people who are hurting, who are broken, who are in need and love. I'm able to give out love and all the fruit of the Spirit far more freely because my eyes have been opened because I've been in the presence of the one who can open my spiritual eyes. Your time unplugging from the world and taking that time to plug into God, it changes how we see, how we think, how we believe, how we respond, and even how we process our entire environment. It does so because it can reveal sin in our life. Let me explain this uh, in maybe a way that can kind of help you understand. 
If I were to go to each one of us individually, I'm not going to do this, but if I were to go to each one of us individually and say, all right, um, what is the number one sin that you're struggling and dealing with right now? Almost every person in this congregation right now could go, okay, this is a particular area that I'm aware that God's working with me on and he's identified it to me. But what can happen is, is we typically have a list of about one to three or so, like major things in our life that God's processing or dealing with us on. And there's other things that are just below the surface we're unaware of completely. We're so focused on those one to three things, we don't even understand that there's far more bubbling beneath the surface. Fasting has a way of taking those things and bringing them up to the surface. Have you ever noticed how certain attitudes can come out of you when you're hungry? As I fast and as I give up this food and this time, suddenly I can start to see, man, I I'm far more impatient than I realized. And there's a way that this time of fasting can actually bring up and reveal areas that God's wanting to chisel out of us. It's a way of bringing it to the surface. It can also reveal the beauty of God. It doesn't just reveal sin, it reveals his beauty. Our lives are so chaotic, we drown out God's presence so often. Imagine how different your week would be if every single day this week you spent 30 minutes in the presence of God. Just soaking in time with him. There's an intimacy that's brought back. There's a bringing you back to the place where that relationship is more important than ever before. About a year ago or so, Jason and Ruby went to spend the night at my parents' house, and it was actually the first time that they'd ever spent the night somewhere other than our house in our entire life. And suddenly me and Angel are there with, with Calvin, but, like, we've got this entire free night, and the house is quiet. And, like, we kind of looked at each other like, well, what do we do now? <laughs> like, like, it's been a long time since we haven't had screaming kids, you know. And it was awesome. We got to sit there, and, like, we talked with each other for so long. And we're sitting there and we're conversing and like it was this special time where we got to be and this space of our relationship was like renewed and we're like, man, that was so refreshing. Can I just tell you, I, I think God wants that for us. I think God's kind of like, have you forgotten how real this is and how good this is? Would you just give me that space once again so I can prove to you my love for you? It also allows us to see divine opportunity more clearly. Has your relationship with God grown stale? Because intimacy has been drowned out by duty, normalcy, or responsibility. If so, can I encourage you to start a fast? Say, God, the only thing I want from this is you. He rewards that. It prepares us. Fasting can be vital for preparation. We see that from the life of Jesus. My own personal story, whenever I was praying about whether or not to church plant and in the process of even Hartford City, I went into a time of prayer and fasting. I spent 21 days in prayer and fasting saying, God, I need your face. I need to seek you. I need to know your wisdom and your direction. And God clearly revealed that this where we're sitting today is what he had in store. It empowers us. It can give us wisdom and direction. 
it gives us the power to defeat sin and temptation, not because we're drawing that power from within ourselves, but because we're drawing it from we've been tapped into the living source. And it can empower us to tell the world about Jesus. And then there's a reward. I want to give you one more quote from John Piper, and he says, God is committed to rewarding those acts of the human heart that signify human helplessness and hope in God. The final answer is that God rewards fasting because fasting expresses the cry of the heart that nothing on earth can satisfy our souls besides God. God must reward this cry because God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So then finally, how do we fast? How should we fast? We've been saying this the whole message, but we have to detach. We have to detach and pause for the purpose of connecting and starting. That's what this whole message is about. It's not just stopping. Please hear me. If you walk away with anything from today, fasting is not just about stopping something. It's about starting something. What's something in your life right now that you love, that's good, that you value, that soaks up a lot of your time, that for just a season, a day, a week, 21 days, however long, you could give up for the purpose of saying, God, I want you. And I want you to have all of me. There's people in our life, we wish they would do that for us. (laughs) God's going, my children, I love you so much. I want that time with you. Secondly, we should examine and invite the searching and the moving of the Holy Spirit. God, would you speak to me during this time? The verse we read at the outset of this sermon says that we've been hard on ourselves and you don't even notice it. They're saying this to God. And God responds, I'll tell you why. It's because you're fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you're oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will not get you anywhere with me. What God is saying is you haven't even examined your life. You're here trying to perform a religious duty, and you haven't even allowed me to search you. I would have told you, like, this is worthless. So let's allow God in the midst of this say, God, would you search me? Would you know me? God's people, they were fasting but not searching. They were doing but not longing. And we ask God to refine us. You notice God's response. He says, this is the kind of fasting that I want. Free those wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your hope. Then the salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. God, would you refine me? Would you take this life Would you chip away everything that does not reveal your nature so that whenever I leave, people see you and me? That's the kind of fasting that God loves and that God rewards. Why would God not reward that prayer? Why would God not reward any prayer from one of his children that goes, Dad, I want to be like you? Can I tell you something? Every single time one of my kids come running up to me and they're like, Dad, I want to be in your presence. The answer is yes. 
Whenever your best friend calls you and is like, hey, you want to go hang out? And like you haven't seen him in years. You're like, yeah. (laughs) Time, place, when, let's do it. There's that longing. Listen, that's what fasting is about. God wants to be in your presence. We should fast and ask God to refine us and make us more like him. And then we can take before the throne room our situation, our need, our requests, or your sin that you're repenting from, or a decision you need wisdom for. And lastly, we should ask God to reward us with himself. This is the greatest and most ultimate reason for fasting. God, I simply want you. Our fasting, it's the action on our part that says to God, God, I love you more. I want you more. I need you more. You satisfy more. God, I need you. Can I promise you, God will answer that prayer. We need to make it a habit. Grady's going to come up and we're going to close on a song here in just a second. But this is all just talk. If we walk out of here and don't do anything about it. I want you to think about if you were, if you were with uh, the person that you love more than anybody else on this earth. And you hadn't had time with them in forever. It's been a long time since you've been able to spend any time in the presence. And you sit down with them and you detail, I really want to be in your presence. I want to know you. I want us to spend time with each other. I just, I just want to be near you. Like, I'm, I'm longing to be in your presence. I, I want you to know me and I want to know you. And can we make this happen? And they're like, oh, yeah, absolutely awesome. And then, uh, see you later. And they just walk out of the room. I think a lot of times that's kind of what our life looks like. Not intentionally. But like we'll come to church and we'll sing the songs and we'll do the things. But then like we get back to Monday. And let's just be honest. Monday sometimes hits hard. Things come at us fast and our schedule comes in. And then something gets happens and there's a family member that calls. And they've got an issue. And before we know it, it feels like our week has been completely shipwrecked. And all that time we had intended to spend in God's presence just gets thrown to the wayside. See, the beauty of fasting is it takes something that you always do and you remove it from your schedule so that you make sure that you always have that time with God. What this week can you substitute that's good and say, God, you have me. God, you have me. You have my attention, my desire, my focus, my longing. God, I want to be in your presence. We're on our last week of this 21 days, but can I just tell you it's not too late to jump in. Maybe it's a meal. Maybe it's something that you do right before you go to bed. What is that time in your schedule that you know you're not going to miss out on it, that you could put God in your time with him there. And say, God, I'm going to give up that which is good for you who is best. God, I want to make it a habit. Can I encourage you something, though? Please also, 
don't let this become a January thing. The new year always hits, and like our church, we always do a 21 day of prayer and fasting in January. And it's easy then to go, okay, God, I'll fast in January. And then it kind of falls. There's power, there's beauty, there's reward. As we remind ourselves, what we truly need most is God and His presence. Would you stand with me this morning as we close this time? Um, Grady's going to lead us in a song that's an oldie but a goodie. And it's called Breathe. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. Actually, can you throw the lyrics up just real quick for me? I just want to read them. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. Let's go to the next one. Ooh, this is my daily bread. God, this is the bread that I eat. This is what I need more than even the physical bread. Your word spoken to me. And let's go to the chorus. This is my prayer for us this morning. That this would move from, from a song and words on a screen that in this moment, this line right here would become the beating heart of Glad Tidings Hartford City. That as a collective body of people, we would say, God, I'm desperate. God, I need you more than the food that I have every day. I need you more than the water that I drink that gives me life. God, I need you more than the stuff that fills my life that's good. God, I'm desperate for you, and I'm lost without you. Because if this is our prayer, can I just tell you something? He's going to reward you individually, but he's also going to reward our church. When a group of people collectively come together and say, God, your presence is what we need most. God, I hunger for you. I need you. So you've read the words on the screen. Can I encourage you? Can you just bow with me? Bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's make this song an attitude of prayer. As we sing this, can this be the beating heart of each one of us? God, you're the air I breathe. You're more than even the bread that I eat, and I'm desperate for you. Let's sing it together.